The information in this podcast is current on the day of recording. It is general advice only and does not take your personal situation into account. It may not be suitable for you. Participants in this podcast may also own the stocks discussed. Welcome to Stock Take. My name is Gaurav Sodi. Joining me today is Graham Whitcomb, all the way from Vancouver. Good day, Graham. Hi, Gaurav. And with us in Melbourne is Mickey Mordek. Hey, Mickey. Thanks, Gaurav. This is maybe the most international edition we've ever had. We've got me in Sydney, you in Melbourne, a producer in Sydney. Except for last uh, week. When it was and the you're same. in Vancouver, Graham. <laughs> was it the same last week? Oh, I must be Yeah, it was. It. <laughs> Graham, but this I, is definitely one of the most uh, one of international the most. editions. <laughs> I know. Well, I just remember in the days where we all used to sit in a room and and do it, and yeah, I how miss foreign that. this used to feel, and now where it kind of feels. Sat normal. in a room together. <laughs> I used yeah. to feel like Back I was on the radio. Days. Did you hear Kerry Chant the other day say, "When you're walking down the street, don't talk to anyone, don't smile at anyone, don't make conversation." <laughs> Why? <laughs> because you're not supposed to interact with people at the moment. Well, Graham. I think that's just uh, that's just good advice in general. I think if someone just started smiling that. and talking to me randomly, <laughs> I'd be like, it's a bit odd. I was thinking about that. I was thinking, well, when's the <laughs> pandemic advice going to start? <laughs> yeah, no, that's what, that's what we should do. Um, right. Uh, all right. So we're all over the place. We're two of us in it. lockdown. And we have already lost it. Yeah, okay. Let's, let's talk some stocks, gentlemen. Um, Graham, can we begin with you? Because there's some interesting developments over at Crown. This has been a bit of a roller coaster, actually. This is supposed to be a stable, high-quality casino business. Casinos are renowned for just being a license to print money, but there's a lot going on in this business at the moment, and it's far from stable. So, so tell us the latest update on Crown and um, and what it means for the business. Yeah, Crown is just a an absolute circus at the moment uh you're you're right it should i like every time i read it well it was actually interesting yesterday so there was this big royal commission going on there were some crazy revelations that came out yesterday and the stock went down one percent or something yeah i I could not believe that and i think people are just so used to this being a disaster of a company that it's all just built into the price already (laughs) they they think that uh i think they just assume that there's going to be worse to come and so the share price doesn't budge when it does. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so Crown should be a stable business and the casino floor is a really great business uh, or at least churns out plenty of cash uh, depending on where you sit ethically with it. Mm-hmm. But um, in terms of the management of the company, the past decade has been uh, ridiculous and the more findings that come out, the more Crown digs itself into this hole of how poorly run it has been, there seems to be this culture that pervades the company where it's it's just trying to get away with whatever it can. It takes no responsibility. It doesn't listen to the regulators. It actually actively pushes against them and tries to prevent uh, proper inquiries, which is just not the way that a company in that position, highly regulated, uh, that's holding a, a very valuable casino license should be behaving. Yeah. Does that uh, surprise that, you, Graham? I must admit, when uh, all this thing coming out, all this, all these things coming out about Crown, it really surprises me. I mean, in our business, we uh, we know our business depends on our financial license, and everyone does everything they can, you know, to to make sure that that's one of the most important things. That our behaviour is is always perfect for that reason. I just assumed every other business that held a license behaved the same way and thought the same way, but clearly that's not the case. Is this widespread in the casino industry well it doesn't seem to be widespread because star doesn't get into nearly as much trouble as crown but crown okay uh there is just an arrogance around crown's culture it just seems to be who who knows why it developed or why Mm. uh it's still going on but it is ridiculous that they they first of all got in trouble uh and then instead of just admitting to their mistakes saying that we're going to do better they actively start fighting with the the regulator and the government who they depend on for their existence. It's just kind of nuts. Mm. Uh, so anyway, yeah, the the well, the most interesting part of the uh, royal commission that's happened so far is that Crown accidentally sent this spreadsheet uh, explaining how they 
evaded taxes for the last eight years, <laughs> which then triggered this other tax evasion investigation. So they can't even get the the basic hearings correct. They um end up helping the prosecution. It's ridiculous. Geez, they they can't even evade properly. <laughs> no, this exec this executive sent this spreadsheet and it ended up landing them in a fifty million dollar um tax evasion penalty. So <laughs> look, they... I, I can't I don't really understand the the share price at the moment, to be honest, is, I mean, it, it seems to me, perhaps I've got this wrong, Graham, but it seems to me that the casino license is under genuine threat. The The, the board is surely kaput at the moment. Like every, probably every single person needs to be replaced at some point. Um, the license may not be around. Why is this still trading at $10? I, I would have thought this was sort of a 4 or $5 stock at this point. Well, I think you're right. The board and management are going to have to leave that was one of the recommendations that's come out so far Mm. in the uh royal commission and it's yeah it's it's hard to imagine that the current management is going to stay in place um having said that there is still a lot of value there and if the license isn't cancelled which it doesn't seem even though that's one of the possibilities and it's a threat uh Mm. it doesn't seem likely just because of the the social disturbance that it would cause. Crown's one of the largest, well, it is the largest employer in Melbourne. Oh, wow. And okay. uh, so just kind of shutting down this this building would have implications for thousands of staff and then all the mm. people that depend okay. on them. And right. um, it's a huge tourism uh, attractor. Right. Right. And okay. so my gut says that it's not going to cancel. The license isn't really in danger. Mm. But uh, what they could do is they could remove all of the management, get rid of the board, and then put the company under some sort of suspension, or either suspend the gaming floor and let the rest of the hotels and restaurants keep running, or maybe I put see. it under some sort of heightened supervision so that, well, they're just monitored for all their wrongdoing. All right, you'd think it's a, and, and I guess what's becoming clear is the business is a sitting duck takeover, isn't it? If, um, if the gaming floor isn't operating, but um, the assets are largely intact and the problem is with management, well, then the new management will sort that out, won't they? Yeah, I feel like that might be part of why it is maintaining its value is yeah. that it's okay. it's just so bad that you know it's going to change. It's not mm. it's not a matter of if. It's, it's this business either is going to be here in a year or it's going to disappear and the odds are that it's still going to be here and still be very valuable. Um, it's just going to have a lot of changes along the way. So... I think, yeah, if it can get its act into gear, it's a it's worth much more than what today's share price implies. Interesting. Now, in most industries, and I've noted this has happened um, in in one another industry you cover, in fact, in um, in sleep apnea at the moment, with um, Philips having a giant recall, the the share price of ResMed and other competitors has had a big jump, and that's what you'd expect in in an industry when one big competitor kind of. Um, implodes and the others should benefit. Are we seeing any translation of that for Star? Is Star benefiting somehow? Could they be in a position to take the license over? Could they um, yeah. take anything from Crown? They may benefit in the sense that they they proposed a merger with Crown and so that would tie up the risk for them, which is that Crown Sydney opens and then sucks, uh, removes a lot of business from their casino. So a merger seems possible. I might even think that that's the likely outcome that the Royal Commission will say, we just Mm -hmm. don't want Crown's management there. We're much better off creating a monopoly with a management that we trust uh, by encouraging the merger with Star. Um, The the downside, though, is that by Crown kind of shaking the cage so much, it provokes the government and the regulators into increasing scrutiny of the whole industry. So they've already uh, suggested a ban on junkets uh, which are the groups that bring in mostly Chinese visitors for VIP sessions at Crown and Star. They've The government's already suggested banning those, which would take out a, a huge chunk of Star's revenue while also punishing Crown. So it's a little bit of that case where if you've got one naughty child, end up both children end up missing out because you don't want to reward the bad one. Uh, so yeah, Star has some things to gain, but I think on the whole it's it would just be much better for everyone if Crown was a little more responsible. <laughs> uh, understatement of the year goes to yeah. Yes, that would be better for everyone. Mickey, have you ever been tempted by this industry? And what's your re- has been your reaction to what's going on over there? I mean, this is in your backyard, isn't it? 
Oh yeah, I mean, I've, I mean, I've, um, I've always been kind of surprised with the things that Crown has gotten away with. I think it's one of the only venues in in Melbourne where you know if you're rich enough, you can smoke inside, um, which is which is not allowed at any other venue. So mm-hmm. it seems to have these sort of you know special exemptions for certain things. But um, yeah, so I mean, I don't know. I guess in terms of like the performance, there's some like I agree with everything that Graham said. Like they should be nice monopolistic assets and they've got licenses to um, uh, handle the gambling, but they just haven't performed that well. And, you know, I wonder if those kind of monopoly type businesses can just breed this type of management where, um, you know, they, they, they do get a bit complacent. And uh, so, yeah, so, but, uh, you know, so I agree with everything that Graham said, but I guess it's just a case of getting the right management in there and, um, mm-hmm. and, and sorting, sorting out, sorting through some of these issues. Now, uh, the difficulty here, Graham, I, I guess um, as someone who doesn't know the company all that well, I kind of look at what's going on and the quality of management. I just kind of shake my head and I don't want to be involved with it. Is that the wrong reaction? Is this the sort of business we should be looking at with a bit more uh, desire at this point? Is it more interesting now than it was before? Well, I think the ethical side is an interesting one. Uh, we don't have it in the ethical fund uh, for those for the reasons that it's a, it, it does get itself into trouble. My kind mm. of stance with these businesses is that if they're doing something legal, which Crown isn't always doing, but, but yes, in general, right. if they're doing something legal and that's permitted by the government, they're going to exist. And you would rather have them in the hands of responsible owners than just leave it to the bad guys to run. So I don't really buy into this argument that if you find that Crown is a repulsive company, that the answer is to not own it. I think instead you should be willing to own it and then use your voice to vote for change or a different board or whatever you can uh, to make it more to your liking. Um, And if you really don't like it, then you can avoid going to the casino and not give it any money. Um, But kind of throwing your hands up and saying you don't want to own it and that the bad guys should get richer faster than you doesn't seem to be a great strategy. Well, I don't know, though. I guess because, like, the, is, the argument is, I guess, you're pushing up the cost of capital for for these businesses and making it harder for them to get to get money. Um, well, I'm not saying, you know, I don't, I don't have a particular view on Crown or anything like that, but I guess it's just a broader argument, which is, you know, if you make it harder to for these companies to get money, um, not just f- as shareholders, but I guess also, you know, if you're financing them as a banker or something like that. Um, and I think it's, it is having real effect now across like boardrooms and companies are taking a lot more care of, I think, I think it's becoming like a real, real thing. It's, it's tricky though, because our general advice when we see a business with dysfunctional management is, is generally to stay away, right? Um, we really would recommend a buy in, in the business with all this stuff going on. And yet we're probably a bit more interested in, in Crown than, than the facts would suggest. Well, it's only because Crown at its core is a ridiculous money machine that it can, I like that Warren Buffett quote of, uh, you want to find businesses that can be run by a ham sandwich because one day they will be. <laughs> and I think Crown's a good example of that. Despite 10 years of mismanagement, it still mm. churns out hundreds of millions of dollars of profits. It's still growing at a decent clip. And uh, in terms of the argument, Mickey, about you want to raise its cost of capital, that might work for something that's capital intensive like a coal miner <laughs> or something along those lines. But Crown turns out so much cash that it hasn't needed to raise capital for a decade. So you're not really preventing it from uh, operating in any way just by not owning it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know. I guess it's it, it's... Yeah, it's. I guess you can take, take that, um, take that view. It probably it probably doesn't doesn't affect them. But I guess the this is the whole argument behind the ESG investing. I guess is whether it whether it has an impact or or it doesn't. Um, yeah, and there's uh, something to be said about if you just don't like the idea of going to sleep at night knowing that you're making money from problem gamblers, then that's <laughs> that's that's a pretty good argument for not owning it. But. Uh, I well, I guess it, 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 it's a, there's like an ethical way to 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 do it almost anything. I would have thought, like you know, if you've if you've got people that want to play on your machines or play 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 a game, then 
you know, I guess that just comes down to your personal preference, which games you like to play. But, um, yeah, there's just ethical standards around almost any industry, isn't there? I mean, it's sort of yeah. like it's it's never black and white. It's always there's always these nuance and gray areas around. Yeah, and um, the government I, can change all those things around uh, around like pokey machines, which are the main problem for the gambling industry because they are just so addictive. So they can influence things like um, ensuring that that gamblers have to get up every hour or something or other to try and break the cycle. Uh, but that was actually one of the things that came out in the Royal Commission was that Crown had let one gambler at least play for 96 hours. Wow. <laughs> so it, was, yeah. it, it doesn't really have their, um, their best interests at heart. Hmm. Mm. Um, well, I guess as well, and if, 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 uh, if your business isn't good for society, then it, you know, at some point that, you know, w- that will probably come back to bite you um, in one way or another. And that's probably what, crowns going through at the moment um i don't know about that mickey you know i I know that's i've heard that a lot and it makes some intuitive sense but when you go back and think about it um i reckon the best businesses are those sin ones you know that that i heard some investors say this as well i think it was howard marks or something a really famous big shot said that uh one of the things he he targets is um the seven deadly sins any any business that focuses on vanity or gluttony or greed um you know any businesses that targets those humans human emotions um mm. those tend to be really good ones and the number of businesses that do that is surprisingly broad you think anything from um facebook all the way to um lvmh which is nothing more than a glorified vanity machine right can it, why is selling someone a twenty thousand dollar handbag more ethical than you know selling someone um coal or alcohol you know i i really struggle with that question um facebook has got to be i've said this before but it's the single most destructive worst product i have seen in my lifetime and no one has a problem owning that on an ethical basis. I just think these are really, you know, they're... they're, they're well, ethics is subjective. I guess. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's not really, I guess. There's, you know, it, it's an entire field and it's, you know, there's lots of, like, nuanced arguments, I think, to to, to be made about what is and what isn't ethical and people have their own preferences about... I guess, you know, if, if you were thinking about it from a... Maybe not thinking about it from a share market perspective, but maybe just thinking, you know, of the different ways that you could make money in life. Like, there are lots of illegal things you could do to, to make money, but, like, would you want to do them? Maybe not. Mm. Or, you know, so there's just that personal decision about do I want to be a part of that? Um, and I'm not saying that 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 answer will be different for everybody mm. as well. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, you know, if you look at like just businesses that aren't like I guess selling a handbag is is one thing, but you mm. know, if you've got a business that actually just isn't um doing the right thing by its customers or isn't doing the right thing by some sort of stakeholder, then probably it'll get regulated or it'll get sued or Yeah, um, no, I understand. You know, yeah. No, no, yeah. there is a there is a clear distinction there. I didn't mean to make a equivalency, but um uh you know, they are they have their own degrees of ridiculousness and, and damage. For for me, the as as a personal investor, the difficulty is weighing up not the ethical consider. I have no problem with casinos. Um, my problem is with lousy management and persistently lousy management with a destructive, long term, awful culture. Like those companies, I you know I've I've generally have a rule to avoid them. And and here's a case where all those qualities are present in a business with terrific assets. And um, and as Graham says, a license to print money. So I'm I'm really struggling with um, with the investment decision here on Crown. So Graham, before we move on, give us a final verdict. Should uh, we be buying now? Should we be selling? Well, I'm not sure that it swings. Well, it does swing on what the Royal Commission does, and we don't have any um, special insight into what they end up recommending to the government. It seems unlikely that they're going to cancel the license. And so if you assume that the that Crown is able to continue operating in mostly its current form, but just with different management, then that could end up being a good thing for shareholders. Uh, we've we've got a buy price at the moment of $8. Uh, this, the stock is at the moment at $10 or so. So it's not too far off from where, would be, where we would consider buying it. 
but uh, I think we need a bit bit more of a margin of safety before that day comes. Hmm. Okay. Uh, we'll look forward to some more research on Crown, and, and I trust you're keeping a close eye on it. Yeah, well, so you can barely take your eyes off it. There's, <laughs> there's so much going on. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Okay, well, from one sin industry to another, geez, this is a this is going to have some <laughs> trouble, isn't it? We're moving from casinos to coal. You can call it um, the sin edition. Yeah, except I think we got a I think we got a green business as our third stock to talk about today. Maybe we should change that. Hmm, maybe it's too late. <laughs> well, let's stick to coal anyway. Um, uh, I've been I've been talking about coal for a while now, and um, I, I've said that it's maybe the most um, mispriced asset in the market at the moment, and um, that comes despite uh, the coal stocks we've been talking about, which is Whitehaven and New Hope. The share prices are up. You know, Whitehaven has doubled since we first um, slapped a buy on it, and um, New Hope is kind of meandered a bit more. It's, it's down from when we first recommended it a few years ago, but it's up um, over the past 12 months quite um, quite considerably, somewhere in the order of um, 80% or so, I think. So there's been a big rebound in those equity prices, but that pales in comparison against the rebound in the actual commodity price. So thermal coal prices, coal is a bit more complex than um, gold or copper because it's sold with reference to grade and... Um, and so the the quality the, the benchmark in Australia um, is called the Newcastle uh, Newcastle coal price, and uh, your your coal has to meet a particular standard, otherwise it gets a discount or a or a premium to the benchmark. And so I'll give you the benchmark prices, and every coal mine will be a little bit different, but it's it's not miles different. So the benchmark prices moved from um, under fifty dollars this time last year, and it's currently about a hundred and fifty dollars. That is extraordinary. Coal prices, thermal coal prices, are now at I think it's like 14, 15 year highs, um, and that's happened so fast uh, within the space of twelve months. And it's happened because um, the price fall was probably exaggerated because of decimated economic activity due to COVID, um, and also I think a lot of market behaviour that just people believe that coal was always go- was, was going to die very swiftly. And it's rebounded as economic activity has rebounded. And because there are so many supply constraints on coal, the supply response has been largely absent. So you've had a rebound in demand, no new supply, and prices have just surged. Mm. And it's hard to see why that would stop, really, because it's very difficult to get any coal to the market at the moment. Um, Coal prices in China are two or three times what they are here in Australia. So the the Chinese may think they're punishing Australia for not buying our coal, but in fact, they're paying the highest coal prices on record um, for that decision. And it makes you wonder how long that might last. In any event, the the point I wanted to make was that, that coal producers are now an insanely cheap on any metric. I, I mean, the free cash flow yields are extraordinary. Um, at, if spot prices go... Uh, persist anywhere i'm sorry if coal prices persist anywhere near close to spot then um you know these these things are just so cheap um and i'll go through how cheap in the moment but first i just want to get your reaction guys are you is this... do they sell do they sell at the spot price or they have kind of locked in contracts or is that how it works yeah or? yeah okay so um so both businesses sell into spot prices um uh whitehaven traditionally has earned 10, 15, 20% premiums to benchmark it sells perhaps the highest quality coal in Australia. Uh, New Hope sells at a very small discount to benchmark, um, 2 to 5%. Um, so it's it's basically the benchmark price. Um, so you, you, the prices I've quoted are basically the prices they're going to be getting. Now, it's important to realize that the, the rise in the coal price has been so swift and so recent that it's not really in the numbers. Well, it's not in the numbers at all. The numbers, if you're screening for coal stocks, still reflect um, last year's coal prices. And even the quarterly numbers, I mean, coal prices have risen so fast, they're not even in the quarterly numbers or in the half-year numbers. So um, I think that might be one reason the market has been slow to catch on. It's because um, it, it, it's hard to see unless you're following this rather closely. Um, it, it reminds me a lot of Fortescue back at three or four dollars, um, 
Mm. And I'll and I'll hasten to add that I, I use any excuse to to mention the fact that we upgraded Fortescue at three or four dollars, <laughs> and, and maybe we can ignore the fact that we sold it like at six or seven dollars. <laughs> Um, well, sorry, um, Mickey. So, does that answer the, the question? Oh, you had me. You had me sold it. It's going to be the next Fortescue, um, I think. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, it's, it makes makes complete sense. I mean, so and and so, uh, you're not worried about the price because um, I guess if it's gone up pretty quickly, does that mean it could fall pretty quickly as well? Or yeah, yes. I, I think the, the the prices now look a bit silly, but um, look, I would have said. Commodity prices, I must say, they still baffle me after you know more than a decade of covering this sector. Um, the inertia with which prices um, remain is is kind of sometimes quite surprising. So, so iron ore. Let's go back to iron ore for a second. Iron ore is currently over two hundred dollars a ton. I've never seen iron ore prices that high um, in the time I've been covering them. Um, I believe it's it's a all time record, and they've persisted despite everyone's expectations that they would fall again. And um, they will fall again. It's just a matter of when. Um, coal, I think, is about I mean, the trajectory is very similar. The the prices at the moment are, are crazy high. I mean, historically high. I don't think much, I've seen them. How much I, of that do you think is due to speculators bidding on like futures uh, contracts versus actual demand at that price? It's hard to do with coal. It's not really a finance. the The coal price has not been financialized. Um, the way oil, in particular, gold, and to a lesser extent, iron ore has been. It really, inventory buildups um, can move the price up and down a long way. Um, there might be, there, there are some coal that gets, gets contracted, and word of those contracts go out. Um, other buyers may bid up the price to reflect those contracts. So there are, there are reasons why it can fluctuate in the short term up and down. So it's really difficult to get supply out at the moment. There hasn't been a new coal mine built for years, and even to get incremental new volumes out is difficult. So um, I, I don't think there's anything more complicated or sinister here happening than a misbalance, mismatch between demand and supply. There's been a very cold winter in Asia, and so coal demand is probably higher than it is on average, and that's pushed up coal prices. And as we know, in commodity markets, incremental increases in demand can have outsized effects on price because coal is an import in, in sort of thermal power stations. You need When you need power, you need power. And um, coal is a tiny proportion of the total cost of a power station. So they will pay basically whatever it costs to get that coal into their power station. So I think what we're seeing now is an unsustainable spike. So I'm not we're certainly not suggesting that sort of 150 buck coal is going to be uh, ongoing. But I, I do think we should um, this this idea that that coal will die in the next year or two needs to be re-examined. And you know, I've sort of um, used a, a seventy dollar, a seventy US dollar coal price, and even at those prices, um, both Whitehaven and New Hope at current share prices, you know, remember these have doubled. Um, they're still generating double-digit free cash flow yields, around you know ten to fifteen percent, and at spot coal. And I'm kind of scared to say this because it sounds so insane, but at spot coal prices, you're getting free cash flow yields of sort of fifty percent, um, which means that going to you know within if, if we get two years of these prices, you basically get your market cap back in free cash flow. Um, so this is really cheap stuff, um, and I'm shocked that no one else is looking at it. No one else wants to buy it. Um, and the increase in in um, in both, you know, think about all the volumes written about iron ore, the broker activity, the fund manager activity. Every quarterly has something about iron ore and BHP and Fortescue. None of that applies to coal. No one is, you know, this we've had this a, a very similar escalation in price, and yet there's been nothing written about it. No one's interested in it, and, and I think that might be an opportunity. I still think. Um, Coal is cheap. Let's say that. But you know, we've we've talked about the ethics before, and it's not going to be for everyone. There's lots of funds that can't buy it. There's lots of individuals who don't want to buy it. But if that's not you, then this remains a really interesting part of the market. Well, that could be the opportunity as well, though, as you as you're saying. Yeah. If no, if no one you, can buy it, so. 
And and the good thing is, I mean, it's not by accident that the two coal stocks on our buy list, Whitehaven and New Hope, are the two best managed in the business. Um, they've got long track records of superb capital allocation. They've got high quality management. And these aren't companies that are going to get a windfall cash flow profit and then go and and waste it. You know, they've got they built these long track records of. Um, good capital allocation. I think what you see is is really high dividends and buybacks, and um, and that's one way. If if no one else wants to bid up the price of coal stocks, then at least that's an avenue to get returns for for shareholders. How much longer do you think the electricity providers could keep buying it at this spot price? Does that not flow through to uh, kind of the public at some point as much higher electricity prices, or do they? I don't know how do they actually cap that. Um, yeah, in in most markets, I look at, they sell into Asia, so I'm actually sure how the retail price works in Asia. But in Australia, um, the retail plot price um, is very good. I'm sorry, electricity markets are really good at incorporating costs and then sort of passing them on. Um, there, there's this. I think it's every five minutes now that the electricity price gets updated. Um, so it's an instantaneous pass through, um, and you know, I mean, uh, it, it's not it's not as the the impact of um, coal prices on the final electricity price is is relatively minor in Australia anyway. I don't know what the situation is in Asia. Actually, I don't know how those prices are determined. I, they won't be as sophisticated as it is here, but I imagine the economics are quite similar. So the impact of very high coal prices is probably not that important to the final electricity consumer. Huh. What does make up the uh, the final price? Is it just a regulated price by the government or? No, it's it's often the um, the actual cost of the generator um, and the ah. uh, and and the poles and wires is is actually the the largest cost. The distribution I think you can potentially get um, opportunities in these situations when there's just like a lag between um, kind of people noticing something and then actually acting on something. Um, because as you say, I mean, if the, if this is a sustainable price or if, if it stays at these levels and they're generating 50% free cash flow yields, they don't need to do that for very long to um, make your money back. So uh I guess it's just yeah. a, a waiting thing, really. Are I, they, yeah. I guess what really surprises me is that there's just no there's no debate here. You know, in iron ore, because I follow iron ore quite closely as well, there's a, there's a really intense debate um, in the investment community about those who think from from those who think that iron ore prices are roughly sustainable for several years, and those who think that they're on the they've peaked and you know they're on the crazy levels on the verge of collapse. Um, and I've argued for the latter, and I've been wrong for the last um, year or so. Um, Maybe if they are selling into China, do they worry that uh, that China will block imports or something, and so they won't even be able to actually sell it? Is that a risk? Well, well, China has blocked imports, and that's already happened. Uh, and uh, New Hope doesn't sell any into China, and I think Whitehaven. Oh, sorry. Well, I'm getting them mixed up. One of them has about 6% of their sales into China and the other one doesn't sell into China at all. So it, I don't think that's not really a big question. Um, I, I think the larger the larger problem here is just one of narrative. Uh, there's this really powerful story about coal and, um, and that's just drowning out um, the very clear economics. Uh, and, and you know what else it is? It's, it's a bit of ego as well. I mean... I remember when, when even come on guys, remember when I bought Whitehaven to you in the Dragons Den? I mean, it was a that was an awkward Dragons Den. <laughs> there wasn't too much enthusiasm for it, and um, and and I think uh, you know a, a lot of good ideas actually that that's the way they're received. It's not you know looking back, some of our some of our best records haven't been greeted with um, you know enthusiasm. They've been greeted to silence and incredul in, incredul incredibility how do i say that word incredulous in they've been greeted with silence and incredulity thank you 
yeah, look, I've given you enough to think about. Um, I've made my my points clear. Um, anything else to add, Graham? If I convinced you, Mickey, I think I can see you're tempted. <laughs> well, yeah, I was pretty tempted. <laughs> Um, a while ago, I've been tempted on several occasions and I just, uh, haven't been able to pull the trigger. Um, for, for I don't know why. Just don't want I don't to make know money. What it, no, I know, I know. <laughs> that's my problem. I'm, I'm averse to making money. Uh, you know, well, I don't, I don't know. I guess for, for, for me, this is going to sound, uh, maybe a bit silly, but I'm, I'm looking for companies that I can potentially hold and compound for a really long time and I just um you know I get that you might you might make well you should make your money back pretty quickly and you can get that back in dividends uh but then you've got this kind of problem in maybe five or ten years it's not really a problem necessarily but you've got to reallocate and you've got to find a new thing um so I guess it's just more of a yeah style. it sounds like you do not like so making you, money making. yeah so you would rather just not make all that money so you don't have the problem of reallocating it <laughs> Well, like I think, oh, I think dear. yeah, it's it's um yeah, like because I, I I don't think it, it's easy to come up with good investing ideas, and I think you know you, you I just want to make fewer better decisions than be kind of cycling in and out of stuff. I, I you know I feel like um I feel like this would be more of a you wouldn't be one that you'd want to hold on to for twenty years or something like that. Um, but, no, you know, this, so. this is certainly. Um, let's let's be clear about what we're talking. This is absolutely a trade, and I would imagine within two years we would be out of coal altogether. Mm. So yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, Mickey, and it sounds like you want something to buy that you can hold on to for a long time. Just pass down to the grandkids, you know. Um, right. Yeah. So I, I don't know, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I wouldn't be averse to like, a, you know, a small, small waiting if I didn't have other ideas as well. But I, you know, and I think the investment case sounds that were good, better than fifty so. percent a year. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's pretty hard to beat. I think you're talking me into it, Gaurav. I don't know. Maybe next podcast I'll bought some. I don't know. Um, that's uh, the real test is if Graham buys some. <laughs> I know. Actually, if Graham buys some, we should probably go out and sell because at that point, he's probably the, <laughs> the last guy. <laughs> All right, let's um, no. let's park Colware, and um, we've got another interesting stock, and this kind of ruins the uh, the sin stock uh, that we we sort of had going here. But um, Mickey, you've written about Gen X, which I thought was a really interesting idea, but it was complicated, and I thought this might be a chance for you to just explain to us in simple language what this business is about and that we might be able to understand it a bit better so let's let's start at the very top tell us what uh, what gen x actually does uh so yeah so i guess it's an interesting contrast to to the coal stocks but they uh so i guess what's happening is that we're you know moving away from coal as a as, you know, in terms of generation, gradually it's taking taking a while. But most of the state governments have set um, pretty clear targets uh, around the renewables, and so I think they're targeting fifty percent or more in most states by twenty thirty. Uh, so, and then the problem with that is obviously you've got you know wind and you've got solar, um, which is great because they're you know they're, um, obviously coming from free sources of of, of energy. Um, however very variable and uh problem is that the electricity uh supply which is very variable must be matched with kind of the demand um and so it's very different i guess uh to to having you know these coal generators that put out very consistent um very consistent level of power um and then switching over to like these solar plants that are you know during this during the day everybody's rooftop solar turns on and you've got just this absolute massive oversupply of electricity and then kind of at night um when you actually really need it because everyone's at home they're turning on the tvs and whatnot um there's there's very little so basically you just need this infrastructure um which is going to need to be built over the next few decades which is you know, going to provide, you know, backup capacity. So, like, if there's a blackout, you can just, you know, um, turn on the grid again uh, and just kind of keep the frequency at the same level and, and obviously store a lot of the power. So, um, Gen X was uh, 
founded, uh, listed in 2015, and uh, they had kind of this um, vision, I guess, to, to build out, you know, a lot of these generation and storage um, type assets. So batteries, solar, wind, and they've got a hydro facility being um, built. And yeah, now they've got about a billion dollars worth of these assets kind of um, under development at, at various stages. So Mickey, are they um, an investor in all these assets or do they actually build, own and operate them all? Yeah, so they're, uh, they're building them and they will um, own own them uh, with various um, contracts and things like that. So they're basically, they've got two solar projects. Predominantly, they're based in, um, in North Queensland. Um, they've got two solar projects which are, which are up and running. Uh, and those kind of bring in um, pretty consistent revenues. Um, one of them's got kind of contracted revenues with the Queensland State Government. Uh, they've got a battery plant that's being built um, near Rockhampton. And these batteries basically can be really, really profitable um, when you get these big What's, what's a battery and, plant? Can you just uh, explain that? Oh, so it's like, a, it's just a big battery. So they made like these lithium ion um, batteries. Oh, so like an actual battery. Right. Yeah, like oh, when you a, say like battery a... plan, you mean battery plan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like an actual battery. Like, um, so you may you may have read a few years ago, like Tesla made this bet. I yes, think with right. the South Australian state government, and they said, you know, we'll go out mm-hmm. and we'll build this, we'll build a massive battery in a hundred days, and we'll do mm. it really, really cheap. And then they actually did it. Um, and so Tesla's now kind of like leading this this um, this field, I think, in terms of actually building out these. The, 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 um, the technology for these batteries. But basically what it means is that when you've got all this power that's being produced by you know wind or solar, it can just be stored in these batteries. Um, and the batteries make a profit because they charge up when um, the electricity is abundant, so during the day and when prices are low. And then they, um, you know, they discharge it when the, when the prices are high. Um, but also they just provide services to the actual grid because... Like when you've got all this intermittent energy, um, mm. sort of you've got you've got like it's speeding up the turbines, it's slowing them down again. Um, so you've got this kind of inconsistent flow. So these batteries just kind of like level everything out uh, over time. And how do they how do they monetize that? Do they who pays for the use of the batteries? Uh, well, there's different models. So there's like so they can they can um, contract um, out their services so to the to whoever the state. Um, electricity provider is so oftentimes they'll have some sort of like base level agreement with with them um or they can just uh you can they can basically arbitrage the difference between low prices and high prices throughout the day as well so they've got Mm -hmm. different models for making money um but yeah providing providing services so i guess where they really really make good money is like for example in south australia there was all those bushfires um a year or two ago uh, I think it was two years ago now, and uh, so there were these massive power outages, and so all of a sudden, you know, you really, really, really relying on this um, backup um, capacity, uh, and so I think that battery there in South Australia made its um, paid for itself within two years or something. So you get really good payback periods um, on them. Uh, the flagship kind of project that they're working on is this big storage facility uh in and it uses two kind of adjacent mining pits and uh you basically you have water in 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 the higher pit and you have water in the lower pit and then Mm. when the electricity is cheap you pump it up and and when it's expensive you 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 let it flow down into so it's like a it's like a hydro um, yeah it's a little hydro plant yeah, that's right. Yeah, so pump storage hydro essentially, um, okay. but I guess where, what they're doing a little bit different is uh, they're, they're doing it in two mines, uh, mining pits, which has never been done before. So interesting. Okay, and can you tell us a bit about the people behind the business? It seems um, they're in a few different um, a few different um, power methods. Um, does management have the know-how or experience um, to run these assets? 
Well, so they they were uh, the founders were kind of former investment and bankers, and I think they'd been involved in some metal metallurgical coal um, businesses before, which they'd pretend they'd, they'd sold off. Uh, and um, like they've done a really good job of actually putting together a lot of this infrastructure because. Yeah, building infrastructure is pretty hard. You've got to navigate like pretty tricky approval processes and get regulatory approval. And you've, especially when you're a micro cap. So they listed, they, I think they had a market cap of like $30 million. Um, mm-hmm. And so you can imagine now they've got a billion dollars of assets under development. So that's, um, and, they, and they did it without, you know, any, any capital behind, or not much capital behind them. So uh, they had to like negotiate offtake agreements and financing and all these tricky things. Uh, so yeah, so I think they've done a good job so far, and um, I think the 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 um, the real company maker is is probably going to be this pump storage hydro facility because mm. that will basically um, dwarf the rest of the assets combined. Um, and so that's a I think a three or four year project to to completion. Um, and then, and then the idea is that that uh, that facility will be rented out to Energy Australia uh, on a ten-year um, contract, which has you know inflation baked in, and and then they can um, they can extend that for another ten, two ten-year periods um, if needed. Wow. So, I guess like originally it was kind of attractive because like um, you know you're looking at potentially like really long dated cash flows and really consistent regular rising cash flows uh and so that was sort of the the initial attraction i think yeah and with these projects when they when they build them do they pre-sell the output uh yeah so well that's that's essentially it yeah so i mean um obviously with the solar projects like they just sell into the into the grid whenever they're um, you know, producing solar uh, right. energy, um, but like the storage hydro facility is just it's on a it's just a straight rental agreement. So it's almost like a property owner or a property trust. Oh, in a I way. see. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, Infratol, so um, you know, we we uh, Infratol's on the well was on the buy list. They they owned a business called Tilt Renewables, and Tilt built these mm. really big, um, massive scale thermo. Uh, solar plants, thermo solar, or just solar? I can't remember now. There's a difference, but I can't remember now. But anyway, these really big um, um, uh, solar plants, and they would actually pre-sell the output on those plants, so they had a, a fixed margin on the um, on all the gigawatt hours produced, and there was actually something like seventy percent um, the margin, and that was fixed for for years and years, and. So it was really no wonder that when they sold that business, it sold for a, a gigantic premium to the implied price inside Infratil. So these assets can be really highly sought. But it does seem that the way you structure any sales agreements is a, is an important part of how valuable they can be. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, and they're also, you know, the fla- flavor of the month as well. Um, they are so, a bit I think it, yeah. so I guess it's um it's a good space to be if you have these assets because most of them have just been bought I think from the ASX like any any of the recent ones I think there was Tilt and there was um uh, was it Infogen I'm not sure Infogen but there was, yeah that got a yeah. yeah um so like most of these assets once they're up and running they do tend to get bought um mm. uh so they are pretty pretty desired desired assets but yeah i mean so for example like they reckon this company reckons janx reckons that once they um they've got all the projects up and running that something like more than 80 percent of their revenue will be contracted for the foreseeable future so um they can be quite good assets so that was sort of the the attraction um the 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 obvious risk is you know you've got to build it and and it's world first and it's um you know it's probably going to be a complicated project and uh, so there is definite construction risk, I, I think. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, if you if you think that they can do it, then then potentially there is there is a bit of upside there. So, and can you talk to us about the the valuation and maybe the opportunity available? Yeah, well, I mean, so uh, I haven't got the <laughs> the numbers right in front of me, um, but if um, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I, we worked out that if they if they do kind of get to where they're going, or w- if they get all these projects mm. off the ground, they're, they're also looking at another wind project as well. 
it was something like a hundred million dollars in in EBITDA potentially, um, which uh, you know versus today's enterprise value, I think it's uh, um, eight or nine hundred million. So it's not. All right. Okay. Uh, I, I I I think that's right. But um, uh, yeah. So I mean, so in terms of the valuation, I think it's it's not so much um that uh i think it's more the risk and whether you're you're kind of willing to 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 take the to um to back them to kind of deliver that project um essentially mm. uh yeah so there was, okay. there was well, definitely... as you've been talking mickey i've just checked the ev it's about 400 million on gen x and oh, okay yeah so well i guess that because they haven't drawn down all of the all of the debt so oh i see they haven't drawn it down yeah, okay yeah right. so there'll be more yeah. debt um, as they build that project, that hydro project. So I think on completion, it's like closer okay. to like 900 million, um, which okay. is, yeah. So, I mean, um, but I guess, yeah. So if you've got 30 years of cash flow, that's not too bad, but you do have to be yeah. a little bit wary that you've got to actually repay the debt as well. And um, because yeah. they do have limited lives. So it's, you know, I guess compared to like a property trust where you can just kind of keep it with a stable gearing level for a really long time. And um, so that, that does need to be payback as well, the debt. Um. Fascinating idea. I really like it. Um, Graham, anything to add? No, it is an interesting idea. I don't know enough about that industry. It's very different to coal stocks and casinos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. A bit of a palate cleanser, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, Mickey, I, I see they're generating a little bit of revenue now. Where's that coming from at the moment? Oh, it's, so it's those two solar projects. So they they'll probably probably ramp up um, once they get this battery oh, uh, facility built. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I dwelled on it for a long time. I okay. think you know, um, you know, it was it was definitely an interesting one as well, and one we had a good look at. I think we just you know, and if you um, you know, potentially it's not not a bad opportunity if you're happy to take a longer longer term view. But um, yeah, we 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 just uh, stayed off a an upgrade um, at this stage, like. I think the construction risk is a is going to be hmm. um, is going to be something that they'll have to navigate, and um, but definitely one to keep an eye on. And uh, hmm. you know, it's a, it's an interesting company for sure. So it's a quite quite an interesting project. So fantastic. Well, I look forward to hearing more about that. Making hope you do bring it back um, at some stage because it sounds quite interesting. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll definitely keep an eye um, on it and we'll watch it watch it um, from afar. So fantastic. Um, if there's nothing else to add, I think we should probably wrap this up. Yep. Nothing to add here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Said with, with much conviction. Okay. All right. Graham, thanks for your time. I don't know if it's an awkward time over there, but it always is whenever we talk. So, so thanks for, for staying up. <laughs> Thank you for your consideration, uh, Gaurav. <laughs> and Mickey, it's always awkward. So thanks very much for joining yeah, us. Yeah, thanks. Well. Thanks, Gaurav. Cheers. All the best. For everyone else, thank you for listening. Thank you.